0: Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Zohar and 15. My name is David Fournier, Senior Instructor here at Restoring Grace. And yes, it's been a while since uh, we've had the Zohar and 15 show on. And I was getting a lot of flack and a lot of emails from some of the pastors and students and listeners out there that had wanted the show to be on, and uh, they were letting me have it. So you guys won, and we're back. Now, I can't commit that we'll be on every week, but we'll be on as much as we can be. Tonight, we're going to use the Torah portion of the week, which is, in the Aramaic, a word called truma, which simply means contributions. Contributions. I want you to think about that while we're talking for a few minutes. In other words, the idea of this portion is talking about the things that you will leave behind. Um, Everybody says, well, you know, you can't take it with you. Part of that's true, but more significantly is the legacy or how people will view your life after you're gone, will be based on the contributions that you made. Now, as you read the portion, it deals a lot with the tabernacle. If you don't know much about the tabernacles, how it worked, it was a kind of a portable, I say this loosely, but a portable church building, a place that they were going to meet to worship God. But it's interesting what God actually says about this tabernacle. But the portion focuses on the building of the tabernacle, a place of portable worship for, for God, or in the Hebrew, Hashem. But the focus is on, not uh, is on the, not so much on the dwelling place as it is on the people and not just the building. Because even after God gives all these commands, build it like this, make it this size, make it that size, he still says, I want this place to be built so that I can dwell with you. Now, when you look, stay with me. Remember, if you haven't been on the Zohar show before, you've got to kind of stretch your mind a little bit. You've got to use your kind of spiritual attuneness to, be, to bear into it. When we look at it, the objects they're going to build with the temple or the tabernacle, they didn't introduce any negative materials into their construction plan. Like, for example, it doesn't say, we'll bring in these gold posts and bring in this. Oh, will bring in a bunch of mud because what we want to do is fill the entire floor with mud so no one can walk around. There were no negative elements in this construction of the tabernacle. Everything that was coming in to, these, to the building was a positive material. It was something that could be built on. It was something that could take shape. It's something that could take form. Now, each of us, each of us is building a tabernacle, a place inside your heart, inside your soul, however you see inside your vessel, where you're housing the light of the creator, where you're housing the part of God that's going to reside inside of you. And it's very important to remember that you don't want to use negative materials either. It's really important that we focus on not having negative materials in our life. We're going to talk about this if we get to it. We're going to talk about this in just a few minutes. A lot of focus goes on the building of a tabernacle, but I want you to think about this. A building is simply an instrument of delivery for something more important. If you think about your home, where your family lives, and if you live in a place like I live, it's cold outside right now. We had a nice day, but it was it's cold. It's going to be 17 degrees tonight. This house is going to be a place where we're all going to come in and close the windows and doors to the cold and, and turn the heater on and, and be able to live in a very comfortable temperature. But it's simply just a house that does that. It's not important that the house has heat. It's important that the people inside are heated so that we can carry on with our work and the many other things we want to do. So a lot of times people ask this question, well, where is God? You talk about these tabernacles, these church buildings, all these activities. Where is God? I think if God could ask us a question, he'd ask us this, where are you? If God was ready to pour into your life, if you saw yourself as a vessel, a place to receive light of the Creator, to receive the Holy Spirit, to receive input from God. However you look at that in your spiritual realm, would there be room? Would there be a vessel there in the first place? I want you to read with me. I'll be reading from the uh, Zohar, and we'll be reading it, uh, from Truma, the portion today. And we're going to be reading chapter 6, verse number, starting with verse number 36. I believe that's where we want to go. Yeah, here we go. The spirit of impurity is always ready freely and for nothing is saleable without payment because he compels people upon whom he dwells and entices them to dwell with him. He tempts them to make their habitation with them in many ways. You have a lot of forces, the Zohar says, that are calling your attention. Forces that are going to challenge you to live a lesser life, to surrender that part of you that could be something great, that part of you could be something significant. Maybe, for example... I know this is true in my life. I'm, I assume it's true in a lot of people's life. You may have a, uh, as they call it, a checkered past. I don't even know what that means. It just everybody's like, yeah, I get it. You may have this checkered past. You may have things that have happened in your life in the past. I have things in life in the past. And we tend to put those glasses on and view that the rest of our life is going to be like that. Now, I'm not trying to discredit that people go through difficult situations. I, I'm not trying to discredit that. I don't know what pain you've been through. But what I do know is that you cannot use that pain today to have progress in your life as you move forward. So there's a few rules of the road, and I think we'll, maybe for lucky we'll get to like three of them. There's a few rules of the road on how to build a building of contribution, how to build something that when I die – I mean, I don't know if anybody's going to be sad when I die, and I have no idea. And you don't know if anybody's going to be sad. They may be having a party. You don't know. But I'd like to be missed, I guess. And we say those things. And people, when they're dying, they say, oh, I wish I would have done this more. I wish I would have done that more. No, you don't. People say, oh, I wish I would have built an orphanage for stray kitties. No, because if you wanted to do that, you'd have done it. Now, as you're facing your own mortality, suddenly you're thinking, I need to leave something behind. The time to make these decisions isn't when you're dying. It's when you're living a lot of people first of all number one is to build meaning in any significance spiritually if you're going to do anything of any significance spiritually you're going to have to take some effort you're going to have to work at it the whole jesus paid it all theology you know he came and he he lived and he died on the cross and he's paid for all of our sins i don't dispute that theologically historically from a christian point of view but it seems to be people say well jesus paid it all so now i don't have to do anything well don't take the bread of shame. Don't live on, that's, a, by the way, that's a, a Kabbalist term. The bread of shame is living off the success of somebody else, living off the plug of somebody else, or winning something that you didn't win, that you didn't actually earn. Don't take the low road and say, well, Jesus has done everything. I'll just sit here and wait till he shows back up again. What if he doesn't show up during your lifetime? Will you sit there on that moment of, of, of death? Will you be there as you're getting ready to head into the next life and say to yourself, oh, I know exactly what's going to happen here. Jesus paid it all. I'm fine. Or will there be those moments of regret? Every single person that is listening to this show now live, you're going to listen to it on archive, you're going to send me nasty emails because you don't like something that I said, and I'm fine with that. Every person listening has a unique talent that was kind of inscribed on your heart, inscribed in your soul, uh, a spiritual DNA, if you please, that was placed there by the creator. Talent is a gift from God. It's not something you've ever been taught. You may have the gift of mercy. You may have a gift of love. You may have a gift of expression or of music, of poetry, of singing, dancing, uh, administration, business, whatever your gift may be, something that God gave you from birth, that's a talent. But you've got to hone your skills and your abilities to increase your contributions. When I say contributions, everybody's like, oh, he's talking about money. That's the last thing I'm talking about. We'll get to that later. Now we won't. You've got your talents, your gift from God, but you've got to hone your skills and abilities to increase your contribution to God's efforts in restoring the world. You know, we get saved by this personal Savior. We get this personal gift from God, which is Jesus. All right. Well, what's it do? How does it change anything? We need to be building every day because tonight when you go to sleep, whatever time that may be, whenever you fall asleep, you're, you have an enemy. In the Hebrew, the word is Asatan. Uh, for, for many Christians, Satan. You have an enemy who's going to come in behind you and try and take apart everything you've been doing. You see, we have to work hard enough to outbuild him. And every night, he's in there taking things apart. Have you ever felt in your life, uh, like that famous song that Bono did for Frank Sinatra, where he says, two shots of happy, one shot of sad. You feel like you make a couple of steps forward, you get that one back. You make a couple of steps forward, you get three back. And you, you feel like at the end of the journey, you're going to be in the same place that you started. You've got to start thinking, what are you building towards? What, what is it that you're actually building towards that is actually going to make a difference? Let me read verse 39. How do we know that the Holy One, blessed be he, wants him, wants him and his place is to dwell in him? Talking about the tabernacle. It is when we see that the desire of the person is to endeavor to pursue the Holy One, blessed be he, and his heart and soul desire. We are certain then that the Shekinah, that would be the Holy Spirit, the glory of God, dwells there. Now, I love the way that plays out. How do we know that we're heading the right direction? If you're pursuing God with your heart, your desire, and your soul, you will. Let me ask you this. What are you pursuing? I want you to think about this for a minute. What are you really pursuing in your life? Are you pursuing people, relationships, status, or wealth? If you're plugged into anything that doesn't recognize you, I've said this before. I'll say it again. The entire message of Jesus in the gospel, three letters, and say them together to make a phrase. I see you it's validation it's a jesus who says i see that you're suffering and i understand it i get that you're going to blow it you're probably not going to do anything i want to tell you something i know this, i know this is a mind-blowing concept you're not going to do anything in your life that's going to cause like an emergency meeting of the trinity where they're going to all get together and go oh man can you believe what he did i never saw that coming they understand our flaws they understand our shortcomings But what, but we invest constantly in areas that will never be something that will get a return on investment. We'll never see growth from those areas. Why do you go to church? Why would you want to be a Christian? On a scale of 1 to 10, let me ask you this. One being, you heard about following Jesus, you heard about God, and somebody told you it was a good thing to do, so you were like, I got some time. And 10 being, it's your life pursuit. I want to emulate the acts and life of Jesus. I want to be somebody who cares for the poor. (coughs) Excuse me. I want to be somebody who who cares about the needy. I want to be somebody who cares about the disenfranchised. I want to be somebody who reaches out to people with all the tools and availabilities that I have to be able to do it. Because if you're a 10, then you're keeping Asetan away from, uh, you're keeping him at bay of building your tabernacle, building that inner part of you to look like God, because you're building it faster than he could take it down. But if you're a five, a four, or a one, let me tell you this. Your life is going to be full of disappointment after disappointment of trying to get started to only find out that your building is being torn down again. We need to spiritually adapt what's called a consciousness of opportunity. Write that down if you if you're not driving. <laughs> a consciousness of opportunity. That we look for people, we look for situations, not some place to stick your nose in, not some place to butt in, not somebody to say, hey don't raise your kids like that. Hey, focus on your own family, pal. What I'm looking for is the opportunity, a consciousness of opportunity that's awake to the needs of others. I do not want, I do not want to sit in a room full of religious people for an hour practicing being religious. Because the opportunities of a, having a consciousness of opportunities, those opportunities aren't found in pews, in seats in a religious facility. They're found on the street. They're found on the disc golf course collecting canned foods. They're found at the YMCA's. They're found at the playgrounds. They're found anywhere you can dream that you can make a difference. They're found in those places. So I'm going to leave you with this thought, and I'll close on it. In Christianity, we focus so much on conversions. How many people have been saved? Well, the question is, what are they saved from? I mean, truly, what, ha- what are they saved from? We need to stop counting conversions Start counting conversations so that we learn how people need to be helped, not tell them what they need. If we had a chance, I'd get you to the next point, which we aren't going to be able to do that tonight. But one of them is we, when, when you, one thing you want to do in your life, you say, well, what's one, something that I can do? The Zohar goes on in that same verse I was just reading to say, when you see somebody who's emulating that kind of behavior, who has that consciousness of opportunity, grab onto them. Listen, man, take me for the ride of my life. Give me everything you've got. Show me how you got where you got. Tell me what you're thinking. Explain to me how this works, because you've got the conscience of opportunity. You really care about people. You really care about giving the gospel out in a way that affects the lives of others, and I want to be part of that. I want to go with you. It's called Surrounding Light, and maybe in our next Zohar session, we'll take an opportunity to talk about it. My name is David Fournier, senior instructor here at Restoring Grace. Thank you for joining me either live or on archive here on the Zohar in 15.